The Audible's NFL Football Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code NFL Podcast at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code AUDIBLES for $20 off your first purchase. An injury to Derek Carr, who knows what that and how that sets back the Raiders this season too. What did you see from the Raiders? Tebow. Tebow. Oh, Stop you st- oh, you started uh. it. You did it. That's it. What do I win? That was the word of the day, right? What is happening, everybody out there? This is the Sports Illustrated Audible's football podcast. I am John DePietro, your host. I will be joined by Chris Burke and Doug Farrar as always. In just a minute, this week, we're looking at week one. Lots of sloppy, lots of bad football. That's what I saw. Did the guys see the same things? Overreactions from week one. Are they warranted or not? The Colts, are they in trouble? The Bills, can they really challenge the Patriots? And is the season over for the Raiders already? Then we're going to get to your questions on Twitter. Chris and Doug will answer your questions. Thanks for sending them in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. If this is your first time, thanks for checking us out. If this is not your first time, thanks for coming back. But right now, let's get to it with Chris and Doug. Chris Burke, Doug Farrar, thanks for joining me on this week's Sports Illustrated Audible's podcast, as always. And guys, uh, we just saw the first week of NFL action 2015. It is finally back. We haven't stopped talking about it, but now we can actually talk about some football games. What a, what a crazy idea that is. But um, just before we get started, you guys have you guys got to be up to speed on all the games, all the players in the league. Just, just Doug, how do you watch the games? I mean, how do you pay attention to all these games that you can talk so intelligently about it every week? I mean, I'm well, just, I'm not, I'm just curious what, about that. I don't know about that last part, but I talk a lot about the games. Um, well, in I'm either at a game covering it, or if I'm home, I'm in my home office in front of my TV just gorging on Red Zone for seven hours. And... Uh, Chris and I are doing, um, you know, the game stories through the day, and it's just, you know, it's like boom, boom, boom. It's kind of like a mass unit. We're just, you know, all in. But it's, um, you know, I'm either in a press box covering a game or I'm at home just, you know, <laughs> mainlining red zone for that, that whole time. What about you, Chris? What's your uh, Sunday schedule like there well, on the couch or wherever you go? <laughs> Well, yeah, don't make it at, sound at too professional. Buffalo Wild but, Wings. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar. I, if there's a, an important game or two on, obviously, spend a little more focus there. I think, and don't want to speak for Doug, but just sort of knowing the types of stories he writes. I mean, I think uh, a lot of the learning about these teams and, and figuring out what happened in the games happens, you know, Monday, Tuesday of the week after, as opposed to necessarily while they're going on it's tough to even watching one game tough to really dive in too deep live so a, a lot of it's going back you know reading things from the beat writers uh, maybe checking out pro football focus football outsiders and then pulling up the the tape again the days after and, and kind of circling back just to make sure your eyes didn't trick you when you were watching you know when there were eight games going on at the same time. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I was trying to keep up with it as best as I could, and I don't even have to write anything or, or anything. I'm just trying to enjoy the games. And 
I'm trying to keep up with it. I'm thinking, how the hell do these guys do this? Do they stay up to uh, stay up to date on everything? It's amazing. I, yeah, you guys do I a agree. Great job. I, I agree completely with Chris. Um, and the first week is always weird because we don't have any backlog of stuff to sort of respond to. But from now on, it'd be like, okay, on Sunday, well, I saw this on tape from the Packers last week, and they're doing it again, or they're doing something different. Um, I mean, I'm working on a tape piece on Mariota's uh, NFL debut, and it kind of lines up like, okay, how will the Titans do these package plays and these certain, you know, bang play action things? So as the season goes on, that tape study starting on Monday morning and certainly into Monday evening and Tuesday morning when Game Pass puts up the All-22, I think for both Chris and myself, that's where it really starts. And Chris has the additional uh, burden or pleasure in his case, of uh, studying all the college stuff. I mean, for me, I don't really start looking at college tape until after the Super Bowl. So I think that's probably the main place where we differ is Chris is doing the big boards and keeping up with all the college guys in season. My head would explode. I got a hard <laughs> enough time doing the NFL stuff. Well, you guys do a great job, and I don't know what anybody did before the Red Zone channel kept uh, was on. You know, here in New York, we'd either just watch the Jets and Giants, and that's all we'd have to talk about. But uh that would be a well weird. Well, yeah. It is. <laughs> well, I mean, we are New York is the center of the universe. I mean, come on, that's the East Coast bias. That's where it comes from. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. All right, but we do have some games uh, to talk about here, so let's get to it. But uh, just in general, my uh, you know my fans, ah, uh, you guys are the experts, obviously. But I saw a lot of bad football, a lot of sloppy, ugly play in Week One. I can confirm. Did you that. guys see the same thing, or was that just uh, my untrained eye there, Doug? Uh, there was a lot of sloppy football. That's <laughs> I, whatever, whatever, to whatever level I'm an expert, I can confirm that with my expert eye. Um, and a lot of weird clock management, a lot of bad officiating. And that's, you know, that's to be expected. That's it's, it's week one and everyone's not quite there yet. I will say this, and we talked about it in the preseason with limited contact uh, pursuant to the CBA in training camp and preseason. You know, I think it's a real problem. You're not going to see teams play, for the most part, uh, up to their potential until about a month into uh, the regular season, which, by the way, makes what the Falcons did last night so much more impressive than maybe anything I saw because they rejiggered their offense with Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. Their defense was so much more aggressive um, you know, their coverage was on point for the most part until, until they went passive zone against the Eagles in the second half. Um, you know, I know Dan Quinn fairly well from his time in Seattle. He's a good guy. He's one hell of a coach. And I'm just, you know, I wanted to point that out that everyone's talking about, oh, what did the Eagles do wrong? I think we need to talk more about what the Falcons did right. They were among the most impressive teams I saw in week one. And it's not discussed enough. What did you see from week one, Chris? Did you see a lot of sloppy play as uh, Doug and I did? Or did you see uh, beneath beneath the lines, between the lines there, whatever. Well, I, I think there certainly were some good performances. I mean, Doug mentioned Atlanta. Buffalo stood out for sure. Oh. Um, I mean, so there were some teams, Cincinnati, there were some teams that played really well. Uh, I think a lot of it, too, you have to look, not just the limited contact, but look at the number of teams that either were missing key players or had guys coming back that hadn't really done anything in the preseason. I think that's a lot of what happened. You know, everyone now quickly as the overreaction, we always overreact everything quickly writing off that Adrian Peterson could come back and have a great year. I mean, he hasn't played in a year. He didn't play in the preseason. So I don't think it was 
I, I think it was to be expected that he was going to struggle in the first game back. You know, Peyton Manning missed on a couple of deep balls to Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders didn't play in the preseason. The Ravens don't have Rashad Perriman in the lineup. So, uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of that going on. Teams are still trying to get a good sense for their personnel. Teams that make coaching changes, uh, the ones that didn't play really well are, are still trying to get a feel for what they have. I mean, I think there's a lot of moving parts in September and it sort of settles down, you know, once we get a few weeks into the season. But the first week is always, it's always probably the hardest week to predict results and always one of the sloppiest weeks, I think. Yeah, you guys talked about it a little bit there with the physical game, you know, not being up to par as it will be in three, four, five weeks from now. But what about the mental side, the mental mistakes? A lot of mental mistakes we saw, especially in the Giants game, obviously with Eli Manning uh, and Tom Coughlin's game management there. Even in the Falcons-Eagles games, it just seemed like for a good 10 minutes there, every play was getting flagged for different violations. What about the mental mistakes? And is there even any excuse for those at this point in the season, Chris? Well, I think there is an excuse. I think a lot of it goes back to conditioning and just the fatigue factor. And you look at, I mean, that Eagles-Falcons game, there were penalties throughout. But, you know, the Falcons for a little bit there in the second half looked like they had hit the wall. I mean, the Detroit-San Diego game, I don't think there's any question that playing in the heat out there in San Diego, Detroit just kind of ran out of steam in the second half defensively. And then so you get, you know, worse play and you get more of those mistakes and more of those penalties. And uh, when guys are just jumping into the mix and going from, you know, playing a quarter in preseason and then sitting out the fourth week of preseason to playing 60, 70 snaps, there's going to be some regression in their play. It takes a while to get up to 100% and get up to full speed that you need to be at to succeed in these games. So, again, I'm not surprised really. I mean, a few of the results surprised me, but I'm not surprised that it was kind of a clunky first week. It occurred to me during the Giants game and that whole thing, I mean, you remember in the second Super Bowl win over the Patriots where they, the Giants didn't want to score late, and I think maybe they got caught up in that. There was the uh, the weird squib kick that Seattle tried against the Rams, and it always makes me laugh when people say, oh, these coaches are dumb. I think it's just the opposite. I think they're so smart and they're so evolved in their football knowledge that occasionally they just oversmart it. And they outsmart themselves. Absolutely. I think it happens a lot. And I think, especially early in the season, you've had a whole offseason to devise all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff that you think is going to take over the world. And you go from on paper to on the field. And uh, things don't always go the way you'd want. Well, week one is in the book, so uh, it's time for week one overreactions. And we're going to see if these overreactions are warranted. Or not. Let's start with uh, the Bills and the Colts. Let's start with the Colts first. Are they really in trouble? They did not look good at all on Sunday. Andrew Luck didn't look good. The veterans they brought in did not look good. Doug, are the Colts in real trouble in 2015? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's still a weak division. They still keep going 11 and five, and they did so last year with basically three really good players in Luck, T.Y. Hilton, and Vontae Davis. T.Y. Hilton's got the knee thing. Sounds like you might miss a week or two. Um, you know, people are going off the fact that they got, you know, housed by the Patriots in the championship game, which can happen at Gillette. And then they got killed by the Bills. And this is kind of like Falcons-Eagles to me. Everyone's talking about what the Eagles did wrong. You go back and watch that Falcons tape, and it's a lot more about what the Falcons did right. And I would say the same thing about the Bills. And 
This was the number two defense in the NFL per football outsiders opponent adjusted metrics behind Seattle last year. Now they've got Rex. And I was watching that Colts Bills tape this morning um, again, because I was sort of watching in and out of a bunch of games on Sunday and all of a sudden they got all that, you know, NASCAR stuff and the moving cow defense and luck really doesn't know which guy to pick up, and which protection to call. And I think you take that much talent. By the way, they did this all without Marcel Darius, who was suspended for the first week uh, due to a substance abuse thing. They bring Darius back. And I think that, I mean, I don't know how you feel, Chris, but we, you and I have discussed it a little bit. If this isn't the best defense in the NFL, I'd be really surprised because that's the most talent Rex has ever had on a defense. I think that front seven, and especially once Darius gets back, that front oh. seven's, I mean, it, it's going to be brutal to play against every week and probably see uh, Tom Brady's going to have his hands full. He always has his hands full when he plays Rex Ryan. The Patriots, with their issues uh, along the offensive line at times, that's going to be a really tough matchup for them. And I agree. I mean, I, I think it's a bit of an overreaction to Indianapolis. I, I don't think they go from you know, we were talking about him as a Super Bowl contender to now, you know, oh, they're going to be seven and nine or anything. But I think it's. Do you still think th they're in that Super Bowl contender discussion, though, after the yeah, week one? I mean, I think yeah. they are, but I think that the legit concerns about them just were sort of hammered home. When we talked before the season that the worries for them were in the trenches. I mean, we knew that they had maybe some problem spots on both lines and. That sort of came to fruition in that game, and it was I, I didn't I thought Indianapolis was going to win that game, cards on the table, but I'm not surprised that they had so much trouble because that was a really tough matchup for them, given the given the limitations of their roster going into Week One. You know, you go on the road, uh, they were always going to have to step up and play sort of match Buffalo physically. They didn't do so, so you know, moving forward for them. I don't think certainly they don't feel any better about themselves than they did heading into the season. They've still got to answer those same questions and uh, probably have a few more than they were planning on. But I don't think you throw in the towel. I think, like Doug said, you started the AFC South. It's still not a very good division. I, I, I think that they'll be fine in the long run. I would be more concerned if I'm a Colts fan about their defense because they made Tyrod Taylor look like uh, early Philadelphia Eagles Michael Vick. Which uh, he he's not, you mean? Well, we don't know. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't I, no, <laughs> I think I, we know. I, I've you, said you think... this before. No, I've said this before that I would watch him in the preseason uh, with the Ravens, and I always would think it'd be kind of interesting because, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He, he runs to throw. I think he's got all the attributes to be a decent quarterback, and I think that's what he showed. But if you're the Colts on defense, you're kind of worried about, like, okay – you know, what happens when we play the Steelers? What happens when we play the Patriots again? And, and things just don't tend to work out. And I think some of Ryan Grigson's personnel mistakes over the years kind of come home to roost because they don't have a lot of depth and their key guys have got to play at a certain level. And, you know, as far as Trent Cole, Frank Gore, Andre Johnson, sometimes it takes veterans a while to fit in. And the Colts were betting on three guys who are getting older and, you just you never know how that's going to work out. So we'll see. It's it's way too early to say, oh, this is a big problem. To turn it back to the Bills, the winning team in that game, we saw LaShawn McCoy, a hobbled LaShawn McCoy, not have too much of an impact there. Uh, 
have we seen the best of LaShawn McCoy as an overreaction? Have we seen the best of him in his past? Uh, and the Bills try to get a is basically going to get a watered down version of him uh, this season, Doug. I don't know that it's a watered down version. I kind of questioned the fit because McCoy was such a great speed zone runner. And with the Eagles, he had, you know, quick inside zone, quick outside zone, both with Chip Kelly and Andy Reid. You know, Greg Roman and that Bills offense, that's power counter trap. That's more slow developing run plays. And I'm not sure how that's going to work. I mean, honestly, Fred Jackson, the guy they just let go and wound up in Seattle, would have been a better fit for that particular run game. Yeah, that's why it seemed puzzling when they released him. I mean, the guys— That whole uh, thing was weird. Yeah, he, I mean, he, I understand he's 68 years old, but, uh, you know, he just seemed like a perfect Rex Ryan guy, Rex, perfect Rex Ryan uh, horse to carry the ball there. Let's take it a step further. They win. They win in, in considerably uh, dominant fashion against the Colts, a Super Bowl contender, as we said— uh, thought to be anyway in the preseason can the bills really challenge the patriots you think in the afc east there chris yeah i mean i don't see any reason why not given what i mean it comes down to what they're going to get from tyrod taylor if he plays like he did in week one they certainly can as we said that defense is going to be legit it is legit i mean you're not going to score a ton of points on that buffalo defense so you think that they're going to be in most football games you know and whether you can turn that into 10, 11, 12 wins is going to come down to what that offense can do because I don't think they're going to give up a lot of points on a week-to-week basis. Um, and, and just one more, I mean, Carlos Williams is a name, I think, to kind of keep in mind in that yes. backfield. And we saw him, he had a 26-yard run, he scored the touchdown uh, against the Colts. We talk about fits for the Greg Roman scheme. He's probably a better fit than LaShawn McCoy. And that's not to say that I think LaShawn McCoy is going to have a bad year. He's still a very talented back. I just think they have to still get a feel for how they can best use him. Maybe it's more in the passing game. He did have 46 yards receiving. So uh, I think that run game will be fine between McCoy and Williams. And again, this is going to really come down to Tyrod Taylor. You don't, uh, we always kind of boil these down to quarterbacks. There's obviously a huge gap between Tom Brady and Tyrod Taylor, but if Taylor can just, sort of do his thing as he did in week one, I think they do have a legitimate chance to push for the playoffs. That one more quick thing about Tyrod Taylor. I mean, Roman runs a traditional, again, power counter trap. It's, it's a lot of inside power. There's some, there are some zone principles. He'll run split zone and things like that. But I'm intrigued to see if he runs any kind of Kaepernick stuff, you know, and if the bills run the kind of package plays that the Titans ran with Mariota, there's a, there are a lot of things, and Roman has proven to be highly adaptive to this. I mean, when they got Kaepernick in that second year, he talked to Chris Alt, who invented the pistol. He added all this stuff to the offense. I'm very intrigued to see, you know, if Tyrod Taylor is a starter all the way through the year, how much that game plan expands as time goes on. And they, because that's always the challenge when you get a new quarterback and he's different from what you've had. But Tyrod Taylor's skill set and Colin Kaepernick's skill set, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar enough to where you think Roman might retrofit some of what they used to call the Colin plan into Buffalo's offense. You pair that with a playoff-ready defense, uh, add Rex Ryan to the mix. That defense was running around, playing with a lot of energy, certainly looked like the Rex Ryan defenses of old in Baltimore and early Jets. Uh, They can be a real contender, I think, too. Let's turn it over to some team that uh, did not really look so good 
in week one, and that is your Oakland Raiders. Chris, are you ready to stick a fork in the Raiders season already after that dreadful performance in week one? <laughs> uh, Just say I, you are. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be, I was. Don't tell us what to say to Petro. Extremely <laughs> disappointed in that performance. Uh, and not that I thought the Raiders were going to be a playoff team or anything, but I thought, and I've been saying for weeks now, that I thought they were going to be much more physical to play against a much tougher out. I thought they were going to really line up and just kind of pop teams in the mouth and be, you know, sort of that old school, really hard team to play against. And they just rolled over against Cincinnati. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I don't think they're sort of in that spot where you're still building. So to say the yeah, building, but you want to see at least some bricks, you know, maybe well, yeah, a foundation but that's what I mean, or like, something, but, but, and it's just like, oh, come on, what are you guys doing? It's different if you talk about, I think we're, we have to talk about week one differently from the Raiders' perspective than you would from the Colts' perspective or someone like that, obviously, because it's a different setup. You're not expecting the Raiders to go. I mean, if you were talking about them as a playoff team, you would look at that as a missed opportunity to get a leg up on another playoff team in Cincinnati. Uh, and I don't think you can do that with this Raiders team, with the talent they have, the roster they have. But yeah, they need to take those steps forward. I think that's what this season has to be about, which is as the, at least the second half of last season was about, just sort of making that gradual progress. I mean, I guess the good news is there's really nowhere to go but up from here this year. But I think they definitely downgraded their expectations given that showing in week one. Yeah, and an injury to Derek Carr, who knows what that can, how that sets back the Raiders this season, too. What did you see from the Raiders? Tebow. Tebow. Oh, you, st it. oh you started uh, it. You did it. That's it. Twitter, podca Twitter's already over. blown up, and this, this, this podcast hasn't even gone live yet. What do I win? That was the word <laughs> of the day, right? Yeah, you win, uh, you win a free subscription to the football gambling, the fantasy gambling site of your choice. There you go. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, okay. Winners like winners like you every day, man. Winners like you every day. I, you know what I saw? I mean, Carr got hurt. That was a problem. Their secondary is just not good. Um, they didn't get enough pressure on Andy Dalton. It's it's one week. I think eventually the Carr to Amari Cooper uh, thing will work out really well. I I do think they have a good offensive line, especially the left side. I'm I'm still completely befuddled that Alden Smith is allowed to play, but as long as he is, uh, to have him and uh, Khalil Mack as dueling pass rushers should be interesting over time. Love Justin Ellis, a defensive tackle from LSU, second-year kid, really underrated. But, you know, they're kind of like the Jaguars. I think they're building right, but they were building from nothing, and that just takes time. Yeah, but they've been building nothing for decade and a half at some point. No, you know? when Reggie McKenzie came in, what was it, four years ago, that's when they really, it was more a scouting base, more a draft base, and they really developed a philosophy. They didn't have a philosophy before that. And it just, you know, you're, you're, you're getting a whole 53-man roster together, and there are so many potential fit, pitfalls. I mean, if you blow it on the quarterback, if you blow it on that first-round defensive end, I think they got the right guy in car. I think Cooper was a great choice. They're just... You know, Latavius Murray's a, a pretty good player. They just got to figure it out. I mean, um, the left guard who's um, ugh, drawing a blank. Um, but, the, it, you know, I, I think they have enough pieces to be interesting, and that's a case where you really shouldn't overreact after week one. You mentioned it real quick there. Alden Smith, let's just to 
turned it around a little bit. That, how weird was that, that he wound up on the Raiders and playing in a game? Uh, it just seemed bizarre in this whole uh, the NFL, the way their conduct policy is going. And, and he's there starting, you know, he's there playing with the Raiders. What do you think about that, Chris? I, I don't think it's weird that he wound up on the Raiders. Um, no, <laughs> given... just, just the turnaround. Just the turnaround. <laughs> yeah, about I mean, how... the turnaround. And I think, again, and I saw Doug talking about this on Twitter over the weekend to uh, a loud response from the masses. It, again, just sort of shows where we're at with how the NFL handles discipline, how the NFL handles player conduct. Because, you know, he the 49ers got rid of him because he had – a string of off-field incidents, including one rather recently. Uh, and he's still allowed to go suit up in week one as the legal process plays out, so to speak. I mean, it's just, it's another example of how messy things are when it comes to handing down discipline to players. And so that was the surprise, I think, is that not only did he sign, but that they threw him right into the lineup. You know, I, I think when San Francisco got rid of him, there was sort of a general feeling that, he needed some time away from football to get his life in order. And hopefully staying in Oakland, you know, he said one of the reasons he went to Oakland was so he could stay with the support system he uh, has put in place. And hopefully that's true. Hopefully he can he can stick to that plan. But, you know, just from a from a personal perspective on Alden Smith, you know, you, you there's certainly reason to be concerned, I think. As we say, uh, the optics don't look good. And, and there was another instance, uh, an incident, and I know we all saw this in that Raiders game against the Bengals where Pac-Man Jones uh, forced Amari Cooper's helmet off, started bashing him in the head. I mean, and the NFL's response per Edward or ESPN was, well, Cooper wasn't injured, and there was a 15-yard penalty, so we'll fine him. Uh, two things here. I think after Deflategate, you could go to the 50-yard line and start a brush fire during a game and not get suspended. I don't think the NFL wants any part of this until they go back and lick their wounds and kind of refigure it out. But, you know, they they implemented all these new contact rules a few years back, just boom, boom, boom reaction because all these people got hurt. And it's amazing to me, and it's an, yet another example of Goodell's reactionary thinking and the league's reactionary thinking, well, as long as you don't get hurt, you can do whatever you want. That's an abysmal message to send. The NHL has similar conduct policy. If I'm well, yeah, but that, I mean, but the were, NHL. I'm not, is I'm not, not saying you know, it's right. I'm just saying that this is not a Goodell only. The NHL issue. is what it is, as they say. Certainly, I agree with you, Doug. There, but we're going to take a quick pause here, get a very important word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more overreactions from Week One. All right, what is this? Fanduel. Yes, Fanduel. I love Fanduel. NFL Week 1 was absolutely awesome, and if you missed out on your buddy's fantasy draft, do not worry, FanDuel has got you covered. With up to 200 bucks in bonus cash with our code NFLPODCAST. You've probably heard of FanDuel by now, somewhere before, but here is what it's all about. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site out there. They will pay out over $75 million a week this football season. you got to get in on that action. A lot of people miss out on the fun of fantasy football because the whole season is too much of a time commitment. FanDuel is the perfect solution if that's your problem. You can draft a team anytime and drop into tournaments 
four weekly cash prizes. Entry fees start at just $1. There's a league for everybody out there. Do not get shut out. Over a million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Now it's your turn. Get out there. Get your cash. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code NFL Podcast and sign up now. There's a special offer out there for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use the code NFL Podcast today. So don't get left out and don't forget to use the code NFL Podcast. FanDuel, where every day is a new season. That's F A N D U E L dot com. Try it out today. Back with Chris Burke and Doug Farrar on the Sports Illustrated Audible's podcast. Thanks for sticking with us here. Guys, we're going to keep up with the overreactions from week one. Monday night, we saw the emergence of the next greatest running back of all time, uh, Carlos Hyde. What did you see from the 49ers running back uh, on Monday night, Doug? Well, I saw what I'd seen in, in uh, fits and starts with San Francisco uh, through his NFL career and certainly what I saw at Ohio State. Uh, tremendous inside power runner has a lot of burst outside, you know, good short area agility. That spin move was ridiculous. I'm reluctant to compare any running back to Marshawn Lynch, but I think there are some Marshawn esque qualities to what he does. And I think over time, he's the rare running back that can carry an offense. And we certainly saw that on uh, Monday night. You've been blowing his trumpet for a couple of years now, especially uh, you thought he was going to have a breakout last breakout last season. Uh, is that right? Uh, me? Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I'll take credit <laughs> yeah, for that. Why not? You weren't kidding. You just open your mouth and things just fall out. People are listening. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm trying to. That's, that, that's my analysis style right yeah. there. I open my mouth and things fall out. Exactly. <laughs> That's, that's precisely trying to is. give you credit for uh, seeing what nobody saw last year, and, and, and you're dumping all over me, Chris. What yes, did you well, see? Ah, you're I done. You're done. I'm done with you, Doug. 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 Yes, Chris. Come on. I mean, I'll take some credit if you want. Uh, if you're just handing it out, I, I, in our uh, fan, <laughs> in our fantasy mag, he was my breakout fantasy star. If we want to, it's not two years ago, but hey, you know. I'll pat myself on the back if you don't want to. That's all right. I'll bring I mean, that I, up next I, year. I like him. I think that the reason I've been high on him all offseason is because you could see a clear fit in that offense, not only from the scheme, specifically the scheme. But you saw that last night, two, three tight ends, but that they absolutely have to be a run first team, I think. I don't think there's any question that they need to stay, you know, sort of ahead of the chains. They need to get into second and four second and five situations when they didn't have those situations Monday night, the offense more or less fell apart. So they're going to run it early and often and, and hides a, a great talent. I think he's capable of, like Doug said, being the go-to guy in that offense. The thing that you have to keep an eye on, I think he had 83 rushing attempts last year. He's already had 26 now this year. So that's he's going to see a, a huge step up in his responsibilities. You worry a little bit if he can keep it going from week one through week 17. 
one quick thing about what I think will help high is they're switching from more of a man-on-man uh, system to more zone, which means you know a lot of slide protection, a lot of handoffs, and he's that you know quick read and run guy. I think it really helps. It that really benefits him as well. On the other side of the ball, fantasy owners were left scratching their heads at Adrian Peterson. You know his first game back in all these months uh, and kind of lays an egg there a little bit. Is there an overreaction there with Adrian Peterson and the demise of AP, Chris? I'm sure there were overreactions. I don't know that they're warranted. I mean, as I said at the start of the show, he hadn't played in a year. He hadn't played alongside Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I think we still have to really see how they're planning to use him. Certainly the carry totals will go up. He's going to see more touches. The, the better shape he gets into, the more comfortable he gets in that offense. The offensive line's not great there. I think the other thing to watch is how they get him the ball. He's not a guy who necessarily has taken a ton of snaps from a quarterback out of the shotgun during his career. You know, they they were an under center type team for a lot of his career, and so that's a change. That's a small change in theory, but one that could impact the way he gets going behind the line of scrimmage. So I, I mean, I think it's just going to take some time. Uh, you know, first game back on the road aggressive defense it there were it, it was it always set up to be rocky the the people who were expecting him to come back and go for 150 200 yards were kind of misleading themselves yeah i'm I'm shocked that a 30 year old running back who hasn't played in a year would decline i've been saying this for six months and i got attacked on twitter and i'll just i'll, I'll leave it with my opening statement when he came back was the uh, the number of backs who excel after 30 at all is low. I thought it was really strange that they gave him that contract extension. You go out to 33, I think the only two backs who gained 1,000 yards after 33 were John Riggins and Franco Harris. Um, that's a bad offensive line. And I wasn't quite sure about the game plan. They had him sort of hesitating in the backfield. Um, you know, I... Will he gain a thousand yards with three hundred and you know plus carries? Sure, if he stays healthy, but I don't think you're ever going to see the Adrian Peterson of old. I think that guy's gone, and I think that's just the way it goes for running backs. Go over to the other Monday night game, the earlier Monday night game, the Eagles versus the Falcons again. Uh, Chip Kelly's Eagles—they kind of looked a little bit out of sync there. Uh, he kind of gets a pass that he's a genius, really hasn't really done a whole lot in the NFL just yet. But is there an overreaction there that Chip Kelly is not the offensive genius we may have thought he was, Chris? Fire him. Fire him. That, that <laughs> hey, you turn on Philadelphia radio stations, that's what oh, they're, sure. they're going crazy about it. Why on earth would we do that? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't – I think what we saw was – uh, Sam Bradford, who's still trying to get comfortable coming back. He had some good stretches where he took advantage of the short passing game, but that was kind of it. You know, they didn't necessarily hit any huge plays. He was he was shaky, a lot of passes behind his guys early in the game. So they need Bradford to settle in a little bit. The, the thing that surprised me about Monday night's game, and it circles back to how well Atlanta played, was that Yep. In large stretches, they got dominated along the offensive line. You know, there were a couple plays where they were able to get to the corner, uh, usually not with DeMarco Murray in the backfield. They were able to get to the corner and use their speed from the lineman there, Jason Kelsey, but they did not have much luck 
between the tackles. So I think if you go back and try to nitpick anything, it's the third and one run call up the gut with Ryan Matthews right before they missed the field goal in the fourth quarter. I don't know that, again, you know, <laughs> we're taught all about overreactions here. So the overreaction certainly is that Chip Kelly's, this isn't going to work for him. But, you know, I, I think the better Bradford gets, the, the better that offense will get, obviously. And I think they'll still, they're still, like we've talked about with other teams, they're still getting a feel for DeMarco Murray and how to use him, getting comfortable behind that line. You know, it wasn't a great start for them by any means. And then, but there's enough talent there that I think they should find their footing rather soon. I think the Eagles were stunned by an opponent with fairly similar personnel that did not at all resemble the team we saw last year. Um, That defense was far more a aggressive and b assignment. Correct. And the defense was in the offense. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, that was, it was ISO routes and a really boring run game and a scheme that didn't work for the line. And, Kyle Shanahan has coached those guys up, and I think it, it augurs well. I, I think I believe I picked Atlanta to win the NFC South this year. Uh, it looks pretty good so far. I think the Eagles will be fine. I I wrote that in the game story last night. You know, I think Chip Kelly put it this way: Bill Belichick doesn't bend your ear as much as he's bent Kelly's. If you're some hack, and I think the Eagles will be fine. I think they ran into a, a very unexpected buzzsaw, and they'll, you know, step back and recover, and, you know, they'll figure it out. The Atlanta Falcons defense was certainly running around like we haven't seen since Jesse Tuggle was in the middle of the thing. Uh, you know, they were chasing the ball. They were they were very – they were the highlight of the Falcons, obviously, rather than that offense is what we've seen. As, but, you know. And I'm saying it right now, my guy, Grady Jarrett, fifth round, my butt. Should have been a second round guy. <laughs> guy is awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep banging the table for him. Well, you keep doing that, and uh, also you know with the with the Eagles, they've got a whole. They looked re- their offense when it was clicking for a little bit. There looked really good. Um, the that Falcons defense, they had their hands on their hips. They were sucking wind for a little bit there. They really the Chip Kelly's offense was clicking there for a little while, and then. You know, the lights kind of got turned out there for a little bit. It's always hard to counter a 120-yard drive, which is what it was with penalties. And everybody here can agree that uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers totally made the wrong choice, right? They should have they should have taken Marcus Mariota over Jameis Winston, hands down, right? Total overreaction. You put, you put Mariota in that offense. With, I mean, I was amazed. I finally got the All-22, and I was amazed at how— they didn't create openings with their receivers for Jameis Winston. That's been a problem in Tampa Bay for a long time. It, it transcends at least three offensive coordinators. Um, you know, Jameis made some bad throws. He made some bad decisions, but they didn't really set him up to succeed at all. And it's an interesting referendum on how some coaches and and just overall front offices bring a guy in out of college and just say, okay, we're going to retrofit you to our system and you just have to figure it out. Um, you put Mariota in Tampa Bay, I don't think you would have seen anything different. There you have it. Doug Farrar putting Jameis Winston along the sides of Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell after one week. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Those are our week one overreactions. Can't leak for our week two overreactions. But first, we're going to take a little break before we get to your questions out there. Chris and Doug, they're going to answer your Twitter questions. But first... A very, very important message from our sponsor. 
All right, SeatGeek, I want to tell you guys about the best new way to find amazing deals on football tickets. It's called the SeatGeek app. And when you use our code AUDIBLES, you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. The SeatGeek app takes less than a minute to download, and it's free on iPhone and Android smartphones. You know who loves SeatGeek? Chris Burke. That's right. Our very own Chris Burke loves SeatGeek. That's where he gets all of his tickets. Because SeatGeek does a ton of things that other ticketing sites do not. Aggregating from big ticket sites, just like when you search for flights and hotels online, SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers to create a one-stop shop for sports and concert tickets. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game all on that page. No need to go anywhere else. They also have this great feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a 1 to 100 value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded interactive map of the venue so you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a single glance. It's that easy. It makes it takes all the guesswork out of it. Finally, the SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find the ticket that you want to buy, you can complete the purchase with just two quick taps. There's no faster way to buy tickets. To redeem your promo code and save $20 on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code AUDIBLES in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. If you want to see the NFL, college football, or the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and enter our code AUDIBLES to save $20. Go do it. It's awesome. Chris Burke, Doug Ferrar, and John DePietro here back with the Sports Illustrated Audible's podcast. It is time to answer your questions. The people's questions. Doug Ferrar, Chris Burke, the people's football analysts are going to answer your questions. Let's start with you, Chris. This one's directed straight to you. Chris Burke, this one's from Ed Malion. How many pieces are the Chiefs away from being a Super Bowl contender? Chris. Well, I, I mean, I think that in theory, they're a Super Bowl contender this year. I mean, they've got a lot of the pieces in place that you'd want, starting with Jamal Charles. And then you look at the defense, Derek Johnson coming back and the way he played in week one, coming back from his Achilles injury. He played every snap and was outstanding. And that linebacking core now, you have Johnson, Holly, Houston. I mean, that's going to be a really good defense there, too. Talk about it right up there with what I was saying about Denver's defense. So, you know, I I still don't trust Alex Smith in the long run. That's where I hesitate with the Chiefs, and and I think a lot of people hesitate with the Chiefs. Um, But I don't see a a big gap at all between what Kansas City has and what, you know, New England or Indianapolis have in the AFC. I certainly think that that they're right there from a talent perspective, especially on defense and at running back. Doug, this one's uh, for you, I believe. I think, Chris, you can chime in on this one, too, real quick. At mental underscore dental two wants to know, <laughs> do you floss before or after you brush? Before or after you brush, do you floss? Chris? I floss I floss while I brush. Wow. That's pretty good. That's pre- yeah. I, it's, it's like watching all those football games at the same time. Exactly. It takes a lot of talent. 
Uh, Chris? Uh, you sent this one to me, so I'm, I'm asking you here. Well, I mean, I, we way asked go, for questions. Go, that was the question yeah, we got back. totally. I floss 20 minutes before I go to my dentist appointment. <laughs> Twice a year for Chris Burke. All right, <laughs> good. Uh, let's get to it here. At A. Gritz, was Brandon Boykin dead on Thursday night? Because I think, I can't think of another reason he didn't play. Did Brandon Boykin die and we didn't know about it, Doug? Uh, well, I happen to know his agent, so I know for a fact that he's not dead. I was, yeah, that was a strange thing. That whole Pittsburgh game plan against the Patriots, I mean, they had communication issues. They were putting slot corners on Gronkowski. That uh, first touchdown where he wasn't covered at all because I think the line, one of the linebackers was just in the wrong place. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a season of adaptation for... Keith Butler without Dick LeBeau. I think this person, I think the Steelers are underrated how much they're going to miss LeBeau, how much he kept things together. Um, you know, as I've said before, that, that team will go as far as our offense takes them because their defense is going to pull them back. TJ Ariola 27. Will Carlos Hyde lead the league in rushing, Chris? I don't think he'll lead the league in rushing, but I do expect him to get comfortably over the thousand yard mark. So I, I just, that offense, I think it's going to have some. Some games where it's pretty rough sledding because I don't know how much they're going to get from their passing attack. So teams are uh, probably wisely will start loading up the box against against Hyde and try to keep Kaepernick pinned in. So they're going to be some tough outings, but I, I think he's going to have a really good year. We already talked about why he fits there. I, I just I don't know that he's going to get into that you know fifteen sixteen hundred yard range. At Superman RT, is the NFL scared to suspend players? for fear of court battles. Example, Pac-Man Jones, Amari Cooper. Yes, 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 and yes. And this is, Roger Goodell does, he's never had an original thought in his life. He does everything reactionary. Um, and it's one of many reasons why he's a bad commissioner. So this is this is what you get with a guy like that. Doug Farrar not mincing words there. I like it. Hot take. Chris, what do you think? I, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Did you hear the question? Were you paying attention I, to what? I was paying attention. I don't know. I mean, I think that you have to uh, leave room for that being a possibility at this point because the NFL keeps getting embarrassed when they do go to court and these these cases drag out for months and months. And uh, the NFLPA absolutely has found some loopholes in the discipline system. I mean, it, it takes them kind of high-profile cases and to expose them, and it takes them a long time to do it. But there's obviously some broken parts in how Roger Goodell hands down discipline. So uh, it, I don't know that they're necessarily going to say all year, well, let's not suspend this guy. Let's just try you know, sweep it under the rug and not deal with it. But that also wouldn't be totally out of the realm of possibilities, given what we know about the NFL. I think most of the loopholes are between Roger Goodell's ears. Boom. Roasted. Last one from at them ants. Who'd win in a fight? You, Chris Burke, or Doug Farrar? Go for it. Doug. By the way, this is Tom Mazzaranis who hired both Chris and myself. Come on, you're ruining it. You ruined it. To, it was went up to up. Ross. It was it was ruined. Hi, Tom. I, I'm gonna call him them ants from now on. Them, I like uh, that. You better see, than... I tried to hide. Ugh. 
Well, as we discussed before the show, in my opinion, uh, Chris has the height advantage, the reach advantage, but uh, if he lets me get in, it. It, yeah. in close, <laughs> it's all over. Yeah, That's the only, I, Those are the advantages. I, I picture it as, you know, you're matching uh, Lennox Lewis and in his prime versus Mike Tyson is his prime. You know, that height differential there, inside-outside game, I, I think that would be a really good, interesting, interesting uh, competition there. Bob Perhaps. and Weave, I'd be I'd be all over that ring, man. Just there you go, Real corner to corner, floating like a butterfly. Maybe we can set something up uh, during Super Bowl week. Yeah, we can get some uh, foxy boxing going for you oh, guys. Oh, just stop it! A <laughs> couple of those inflatable sumo outfits. And... Exactly. Oh, there's an idea. That the sponsors will get behind that totally, right? Yep. You would think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Week one is in the books. Week two is on the horizon. Thanks to Chris Burke. Thanks to Doug Farrar. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for downloading. Go to iTunes. Subscribe to the Audible's Football Podcast now. And we'll catch you next week.